Traveling the Vortex We join the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive in episode 537. And just like his life, this podcast is just one big continuity error. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's it going, guys? words were never spoken. (laughs) (laughs) That's like so appropriate for this podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it canon? (laughs) Oh, did you guys watch anything? Do anything this week? Anything fun? We watched Elvis. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was saying we're working on we had not seen Elvis yet. We're working our way through the uh, the, uh, the Oscar noms. Before both of you. Yeah, I enjoyed it more than Mel did. Um, it, it's just not quite her cup of tea, but I, I think the first half of it was far more enjoyable than the second half. But you know, for obvious reasons, it suffers from biopic. <laughs> I still have here's the rise. Yeah. That's fun. Here's the fall. Not so much. Right. But no. I still haven't gone back and rewatched it. I think I told you guys I slept off and on because I was on drugs for my. Yeah, yeah. So. I know a lot of people are bagging on Tom Hanks, and I, I genuinely think the casting was was kind of genius because if you know anything about Elvis, you know Colonel Parker's kind of the villain uh, of the piece, rightfully so. And so then you put Tom Hanks in there, and we all like Tom Hanks, and so then it kind of becomes, oh, he's not so bad. He's he, he's kind of the lovable con artist, and and not this horrific human being. Until you get to the second half of the movie, and it's like, dude, you just need to die in a fire. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. I mean, he was very unlikable in that movie. It's funny yes, though, it because just what I remember of it, I never saw Tom Hanks. They, I thought the the prosthetics were so good, and his acting was so yeah. good that I a lot of times would forget that it was even Tom Hanks. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. But yeah, no, beyond that, we haven't done much. I'm what? up to date on The Last of Us. Oh, it yeah. Is so good. Is it? I've heard a lot of great things about that. I, I, I had no interest in it when I heard it was coming out because I, I'd never played the games or anything. And then uh, it, it just keeps getting better and better reviews all the time. And so I think, well, maybe I do want to go start watching it. Yeah, it's episode three is probably one of the going to go down as one of the best episodes of television, period, in addition to just this year. It is just so phenomenally well done and well acted i it's gonna get emmy nominations for sure um episode four is hits kind of a you know middle of the season dip of okay we got to get plot and stuff moving a little bit more and move things forward quite a bit but it's also set partially in kansas city on that episode so that's kind of cool i never Hmm. finished the game i only started it so I'm already, and the show is already far past what I've played <laughs> and I'm still enjoying it quite a bit. So, and it's been so long since I played the game originally that there was a lot of stuff I didn't remember. And so as essentially someone who never played the game, the show was really good. And as I have friends at work who have played the game and all the changes they've made, they're perfectly fine with. They think they're good ideas. It helps that the guy who wrote the game is a co-producer and co-writer and co-director on the show. So he is all on board and making good, strong decisions. And Pedro Pascal just continues to prove how good of an actor he is. Awesome. What about you, Glenn? I watched um, Life After the Navigator, which is a documentary on the kind of on the making of, well, it was 
Life After the Navigator is basically the story surrounding, and I, I, I can't forget the kid's name, uh, the actor that played him, but uh, it's kind of centered around his addiction, recovery, um, robbing a bank, serving time, <laughs> uh, a lot of different things that, that, that wow. yeah, that happened to him um, after that film. Uh, you know, obviously quite a few years after that film, but um, they uh, talk a little bit about that film and his involvement. Uh, they bring back the director, a few of the actors, the guy that played his brother. Uh, unfortunately, Sarah Jessica Parker doesn't come back. She would have been the, the, the big one. But uh, but anyway, they get to back together afterwards. And his life's really had some ups and downs, but he it, he's in a good place now. So it, it ends on a really good note. So I appreciate that. But that was enjoyable. I recommend that for anybody, especially if you were even a, a fan of the, the, you know, Flight of the Navigator. That uh, movie scared me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, oh, that I little thing that. on his shoulder terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought, you know, the whole time traveling aspect of coming back and finding your family had aged 30 some odd years would have been the terror. But no, it was the little... The little creature. Uh, that, the I, little finger puppet. I honestly didn't know there was a time travel aspect until you just told me. <laughs> Because I can't get past that creature. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking that this is going to be a thing, that we're going to have to start a side podcast where we force Keith to watch Flight of the Navigator now that he's a time travel nut. <laughs> because it's kind of a cornerstone. I mean, not a cornerstone, but it's it's it. I would consider it up there because it's it's. This is the weird thing about it is yes, it's a dumb kids movie with finger puppets, but it's also got a very deep science fictiony premise. You know what I mean? The, the interesting thing about it is it's not even it, it becomes time travel I don't I am no, I'm certainly not spoiling this for anybody it becomes your typical time I think the travel statute of limitations on spoilers but, yeah. <laughs> well but I don't know how far you got in if, if that little thing finger puppet scared you <laughs> I'm sure I've seen the whole thing I just don't remember it I was well, too traumatized by the finger puppet I, my point is that <laughs> the end of it is does have the typical time travel element to it but realistically it's not exactly a time travel movie because it's more of a time differential um or relative time uh, relativity yeah, yeah yeah exactly because you know he 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 ages slower than everybody else so he's not really even traveling through time it's just he's aging slower than others while he's on his travels so yeah it's but you're right it i think it's still fits squarely in a, as a time travel film but it is it is a different take on it so okay that part sounds a little bit more familiar yeah i don't know it was also a very long time ago that i watched it <laughs> well you would have been a real little kid because i was probably high school when it came out so yeah, it came out in 86 and i was probably not watching it until it was on disney channel mm, okay yeah 86 i'd have been in that been my first year in high school uh then i watched uh or rewatched rather dungeons and dragons the uh, movie from 2000 um it 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 gets more hate than it deserves it I, i'm not i'm not no it doesn't i'm not qualifying <laughs> i'm not qualifying that it's a good film but it gets more hate than it does because i think it's i think the reason why the new one that's coming out will work is because i think we're in a different mindset now i remember when this thing came out everybody panned it for the humorous aspects you know it's got uh was it damon wayne's is the the wayne's brother that's in it uh, and they play it very tongue in cheek, and it is very campy. Especially Jeremy Irons is just rolls in the camp. 
but it's really not as bad, I think, as people make it out to be. I think people really trash the film, and it it's a decent story. It's got some funny moments. It's got some really poor, poor CGI. Oh my gosh! Even for I mean, <laughs> two thousand, I thought, oh come on. I mean, Jurassic Park had been out for ten years by now, and you can't get the CGI right. Um, so that was that was rough. But I I didn't I didn't hate it. It's it's kind of a middle of the road film for me, and I know a lot of people don't like it, but. And then I watched its sequel, which came out about five years later, and it was made for Sci-Fi Channel. But it is a legitimate sequel because uh, one of the characters, and uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but it's the... Was the it hen- Steve the Dwarf? No, no, it's the henchman. <laughs> uh, the bald henchman from the first one, Jeremy Irons guy. He, oh, okay, He returns yeah. as his character. Now, it's this is 100 years later, um, and he has been... He's still walking the earth with this undead curse, but he comes back and decides that he's going to awaken a dragon and, and rain uh, revenge on that city that uh, is in the first film. This one is a lot better. Uh, surprisingly for being a sci-fi channel uh, original, this was a, a really fun movie. This one felt more like Dungeons Dragons, like a, like a, like a campaign. Um, it's got a, a, you know, a core group of characters, uh, ranging from different, uh, classes and races. And they are actually at one point traversing, uh, puzzles in a dungeon in order to get to the, uh, you know, the center core to save the city. And then it gets to a point where I think this thing's going to be over. And then it goes on and kind of pulls a little, uh, double take on you, which you don't expect. So, um, I recommend seeing it. it. It's it again, also not good special effects, but I give this one a pass because of the fact that it was made for television. It was sci-fi channel at a much lower budget than a uh, theatrical film would. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend anybody that's a fan of just Dungeons and Dragons. This one feels more like what I think the Dungeons and Dragons uh, film should strive for. And then um, I haven't got to, there's actually a third film that was uh, straight to DVD interestingly enough but it is qualifies as a, as a sequel although i don't think it has any returning characters but i haven't seen it yet so that's on my list to watch next hmm. and then holly and i started uh shrinking with harrison ford and jason siegel which is really oh, yeah. really good really good we're really enjoying it. we're only two episodes in but it's 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 really really a good show and that's it oh i do want to mention that my kids are watching classic doctor who they came caitlin came back from school uh over christmas break and decided that she wanted to go back and start from the beginning because she's watched you know new who dozens of times in fact she's on a rewatch of new who now while she, she's at school because she's access but and they sat down both the kids sat down and watched uh they've so far they've watched the entire first season so the first doctor hartness very first season they are done with they, when she comes back for spring break, they intend to take on season two. And there, I, you know, I just, I didn't think it that they would make it because it's just, it's so different for what they're used to. But they're both enjoying it, and they have ones that they like that were ones that I didn't think, you know, like the Censorites is one of my not favorite stories, but it's one of those stories in that season that I enjoy. And they were like, eh, not so good. Mason loves. Reign of Terror. <laughs> Nobody likes Reign of Terror, but no, he makes them love Reign of Terror. Uh, they both did like the Aztecs. They enjoyed that, which was nice. 
they did like the Daleks, although they even complained that it, it gets a little long-winded there in the middle. Uh, but yeah, Planet of Giants was another one that uh, that's one of my, you know, I, I like. In fact, of those, that's probably my at least second favorite in that season. And neither one of them were like, eh. <laughs> a, but, but they're enjoying the ride. There's nothing that they dislike. It's just they don't like them as much as I thought that they would. Uh, you know, or They don't love them as much as I do, I suppose I should say. But, uh, yeah, they've already had one animated because they're going, you know, as far as animation releases, they're going out of order. But uh, I think that's the only one so far would have been Reign of Terror. Yeah, yeah, their next so, one will be until like Galaxy Four. Right, right. So proud Papa here. I'm uh, uh, just amazed that they're they're going back, and in, in the 60th anniversary year too. That's kind of pretty amazing for me. So that's awesome. Yeah, that is fairly awesome. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Rusbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With popular features like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, we have a lot of fun. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. All right, well, let's move on to our reviews. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Eighth Doctor Adventures, The Time War, Cass. Cass Formazzi. Reporting for duty. Weird visions. Glimpses of other landscapes, other worlds. Is that what's happening? The Vespertine isn't really a shipwreck. She's intact. A man who should be dead in a ship that should be lost beneath a research station that shouldn't exist... This just gets better and better, doesn't it? Something is wrong with the timeline. Complications, always complications, never mess with time. Those are Daleks, they're Daleks. Correct. Terrifying, absolutely bone-chilling. Emergency power only, completely shut down. Surrender to the Daleks! No wonder they're so angry, like big metal wasps. When will the med team arrive? He really needs a doctor. I'm a doctor. They're probably not the one you're expecting. That didn't sound good. We're shifting through time. Getting some odd temple readings. They're throwing us off course. We weren't even on course. Right, hold on. Nothing can interfere with Dalek plans. Big finish for the love of stories. Meanwhile, elsewhere. 
The Doctor and Alex arrive on a tropical beach where something's amiss. Meanwhile, elsewhere, a desperate pilot runs for his life. Meanwhile, elsewhere, it's Cass for Mazzy's first day on an errant class starship. Meanwhile, elsewhere, it's the beginning of the end of everything. Bum, bum, bum. Yep, I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed this one a lot. This one, what I like about this is this has Cass hitting the ground running. I absolutely mm-hmm. love her character. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I I love Bliss, and I think that she's doing a fantastic job. And I don't know if you knew this, but the reason these stories came about was because she she has a uh, she had a recording conflict, so she couldn't do the next set. And so they brainstormed and they said, "Well, what what can we do?" And somebody suggested, "Well, let's bring Cass, you know, in and see what we can do with her." And so I think this they set it up really nicely that. Bliss is somehow she's been forgotten about, but he still knows, you know, she he's still having this memory, this this displaced memory of her through this whole thing. And so I think they do a nice job of kind of setting this setting that plot line aside by saying, okay, we recognize that this has happened and this exists. So we're going to make this an in-universe thing. And then, you know, obviously, they'll they'll come back to Bliss stories later because she's not done uh doing her thing. This is just some weird timey-wimey stuff. It is some weird timey-wimey. But I just think, I love Cass. I think she's hit the ground running here. I absolutely love her her attitude and her, you know, stalwartness. And she's just, she's one of those types that's, she's not going to take any, you know, she's not going to take any flack from anybody, even superior. And she's kind of going to do her thing. And I, I really like that about her. And I think it's a, this was the story's a really good introduction for her. Um, and then the fact that, you know, the, these locations and times are bleeding over into is kind of a fascinating thing. You're running through the ship and then suddenly you're in like a jungle, you know, there's well, that's, you know, I, I think we've, we've had stories that have kind of dabbled in that sort of idea before, but this was really kind of a, an interesting, uh, uh, premise and then then i i have to ask though i well maybe i'll ask here a little bit after i hear what you guys have to say because you guys may answer my question in in, in your reviews but i have a question about um um what they call our passenger so but go friend. ahead I, yeah or yeah friend not passenger friend Hieronymus friend uh i i concur with most of what you said glenn uh there were there were times I don't remember if it was in this story or the next one that I I was I felt myself missing Bliss a little bit, um, but Cass is a great character and a, almost a great foible for the Doctor. Her and uh, Alex and the Doctor eventually get a really great chemistry together, and I really like how they interact with each other. And I think the whole box set kind of tries its best to kind of put you on the back foot and have you confused and they do a good job of it where you kind of get your footing and figure out what's going on and then they're in a jungle on the spaceship and you're like what's going on and but the characters are confused too so it it works really well and the way they they kind of interacted together and interlocked it with the time scoop with friend i thought that was pretty clever Mm -hmm. yeah 
and what she was trying to do to create meanwhile soldiers to sell to the highest bidder. I thought that was a nice way to keep the time more on the, uh, on the skirts of the story, but still having it involved. Okay. You just answered my question. <laughs> it wasn't very clear to me anyway. And I think because it was, there was so much going on. I, it wasn't clear to me exactly what she was doing. So she was, she was essentially scooping up people, creating and creating an army to sell to the highest bidder okay. in the time war. Okay, that I did, that didn't quite come across for me, and that was that's what ties this one into the time war, and that's I think where I was lost a little bit too, because we're in a time war box set, but there's nothing there's nothing going on about the time war, but that makes sense because that's enough now to tie it to it. So okay, thank you. I don't I don't have to ask my question because you you've cleared it up. And I think that big finish feels like. The- they can slap the name Timor on it and give them the excuse to do whatever they want. Well, that's like true. introduce cast because it's a time war. So there's going to be confusion of timelines and this allows us to do this because we said so. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's a very valid point, which, <clears throat> you know, time war. Okay. All bets are off. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I uh, I kind of agree with both of you. Um, I love, love, love Bliss. I have been on record as saying that. I think Bliss has an absolutely fantastic relationship with the Doctor. Cass comes in and hits the ground so hard that it's almost Bliss who? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's, and, you know, I, I'm not knocking her because I love Bliss. But, but uh, you know, we, we all loved Cass. We fell in love with Cass and, and, you know, as soon as she came on screen in Night of the Doctor. And so getting more of that is is a good thing. And uh, they, they don't disappoint. The characterization, the, um, the, the way the characters performed, and her interactions not only with the Doctor, but also with Alex, which is another very cool thing. Because when we kind of left off, Alex had just been rescued, in theory, uh, you know, out of this... Uh, stasis pod and now all of a sudden here he is with several adventures under his belt and uh, uh listening to the two mcgann's uh palaran and the tardis is a boatload of fun so this is just a really good team tardis they they click yeah. really well together yeah. uh, which kind of adds to the enjoyment factor of, of the audio uh the story you know, as you said, Glenn, this is something that we've kind of had shades of before, but it's so exceptionally realized um, with these the, these bleed through areas, and you know, the idea of a mini scope uh, kind of gone wrong. And the I, I, I'm not sure 100 if this is exactly where they're going. That these uh, these soldiers that she's scooping up are maybe supposed to be the army of meanwhiles and never wears. Oh, hey. I, the, the Tenth yeah. Doctor mentioned. Right, yeah. Um, but that's certainly where my brain went to make yeah, that connection. That it was like, cool. oh, I wonder I, if that's what that is. I didn't go there because I couldn't, couldn't quite land on what her <laughs> MO was, but that's cool. Yeah, I like that. And uh, then, then I you know, I have to fall back on the, well, I seem to remember that once upon a time I said, I don't want to know what any of these things are because the names are so cool. <laughs> but if this is what they're doing, that's kind of cool, you know. Sitting down, and well, it's giving, not really just enough of a. Well, maybe yeah, that's what it is, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not a full out explanation. It's just a hint of an explanation, right? right. And they do reference them as meanwhile soldiers in the story, so I think mm-hmm. making that connection is intentional. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, so so that was all great. Um, I love chip based stories. Uh, for me, it kind of evokes a fourth Doctor era feel. Yeah, it feels like where the action's confined to the merchant ship, and right. you know, it's 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 just very uh, I don't know, Ark in space or robots of death. It just kind of has that that vibe going on. Yeah, so right. I was you know I was happy with that. I felt the same. Um, yeah, yeah, just just a lot to like in this story. It's very well done. I think Alex and Cass's chemistry is really good too. I think they 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 get along and play off of each other really really well. And while there's, you know, some confusion as to you, you've got that meeting them before uh, the events that happen, uh, that's played off really well. It, 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 you know, this is doing uh, this is doing palindrome better. You know, palindrome was a good story and I enjoyed it, but this is how you make a complex story not so complex. And I think they do that again in the in the last uh, story in this box set that we'll talk about. But I really like that Alex and Cass have really kind of they've kind of clicked together. And I think as much so as the, the Doctor and Cass have as well. Um, I thought it was interesting when uh, who was it brought up that the oh, I think it was friend that said that uh, she asks if Alex knows that there's another version of a, a dead version of him. Um, I thought that was interesting because that's more of that kind of intersecting timelines, wibbly wobbly time, you know, timey wimey happening here that kind of intrigues me a little bit to know a little more about, uh, you know, what is this other Alex and what's, you know, what is what's befallen him. Yeah, and it's interesting that they kind of spend so much time building Alex and Cass's relationship and almost flirting with between the two of them throughout this whole story, yeah. which is really appreciated because it gives Alex more character depth. It gives Cass more character depth. Not that she needs it because it's so much focus and so much backstory for Cass in this that we get plenty, but it's nice that we know what the Doctor and Cass's relationship pretty much and interactions pretty much going to be like so it's nice having that development of a relationship with alex right i think if this story has a weak link and i kind of hate to say this it's hieronymus friend I, I i think the cover story that she gives about being a temporal diplomat is one of those that's it's a very intriguing idea that I don't think holds together in a time war scenario. I, I, I kind of feel like the idea of a, an outside agency that's not the Time Lords wanting to send in diplomats to stop a time war from starting. Well, okay, I can totally get behind that. That's a very nutty Doctor Who idea. Yeah, cool. The time war being the epic scale that it is, is now it's just kind of like, yeah, we're not going to bother dispatching anybody because what are you going to do? I mean, it just it just seemed like an exercise in futility. And I could have, I, I don't know, I could have bought her just as an independent but, contractor who was going through scooping people up and making money off them versus well, this whole but wasn't that just diplomat her, idea. But wasn't that, that was just, just her a cover, story, cover story? I mean, she was making all right. that anyway, so I didn't have... Well, I don't theoretically, have we don't really know. But. Well, that's true, but... I, I mean, she could have been, and this was sort of what she's doing on the side. But I got the impression that that was just her cover story. That's what she was, you know, leading people to believe, so that she could, you know, do whatever she was doing. So yeah, I, I think 
personally, I feel like it came across as it was a combination of both. Yes, it was the cover story and it was what she's telling people. But then once the, oh, the animal in the box turned out to be a lie, I don't think everything else did. I th- I, I personally still feel like the, she's just doing this because she can make money on the side. And she's using her diplomatic status to her advantage. Yeah. But again, it just seems like kind of a, really? <laughs> Couldn't you just be a pirate or something simple? But but maybe, you know, if, if it was a lie, it was so well developed that it became not believable. If it was the truth, <laughs> it was so well developed, it was not believable. Either way, I, I kind of had a problem with it. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with her, her function in in purposes of the story because we needed you know something to set off this event that uh, that caused everything, and then the doctor gets a, an opportunity to be very clever and retroactively fix things at the beginning of the story that we didn't realize were being fixed. So that was cool. Yeah, but yeah, overall, like I said, it was just a just a great box set. Yeah, very enjoyable. Well, let's move on to the next one. Vespertine. It's Cass's first trip in the TARDIS, and the Doctor is determined to make it one to remember. But when they arrive at a research base that shouldn't exist, built above a missing explorer's ship that should never have been found, it seems their visit's going to be memorable for all the wrong reasons. Because deep beneath the ice, there's more than just a long-lost ship waiting for them. Bum, bum, bum! Yep. I, I think this is the weakest one of the three, but that being that being said, this was still a very enjoyable story. Yeah, yeah, it's the weakest one of the three, but not by much, no, not and by that's much. still yeah. saying something just of the overall quality that, that's on display here. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed this whole legendary aspect of this of this ship. It took me a minute to kind of latch on to the fact that it was a sailing ship. And but I got the impression that it also still it was a scaling ship that went through the stars too. Yeah, it seemed like that they 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 traveled through space and then dropped it off on this planet. Yeah, which yeah. that part I got, but it wasn't until they actually got down into the the hull of the ship and talked about the wooden decks and no metal and this that and the other thing that I was like, it feels like this ship was built specifically to explore this world, not necessarily that the Vesper team was the ship that he used to explore all of those other worlds. And so once I got caught up with that, then it was like, okay, I'm a little more, you know, literally on board uh, with thinking here on the story. But I I love the fact that we get, you know, for part of our introduction, we get a very cast heavy uh, episode and kind of get to see things, you know, through her eyes, her excitement, her, uh, you know, just unbridled joy at meeting a hero and, uh, and and all of that, I like that. Uh, again, the the doctor and Alex and their relationship is forwarded a little bit, and they have so much playful banter back and forth, um, both with Cass and without. Like when she goes to go do something, and oh, she's good. Yeah, she is. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we we talk about the doctor auditioning, and it's like, well, if you've already invited her in, but this is. You know, <laughs> confirmation made the right choice good okay so um that was all cool i thought the villainy piece was a little i don't want to say predictable but well what's nice about it is that there truly isn't 
a full villain. Right. I mean, yeah. Hudson Sage comes across and, you know, he's wounds up not being as, you know, noble and self-sacrificing, et cetera, et cetera, as he appears to be, but that's, you know, all in the past and nothing to do with it. And then Rin Bartolo, who's, you know, the one who kind of spells Hudson's downfall, doesn't necessarily do it maliciously while she gets on there and is trying to, you know, do what she does. It's she doesn't know he's down there and doesn't know that it would kill him, you know, to end it all. So it's like a villain on accident more than anything else, which is something I appreciated about it, that there was more nuance to it other than I want the gold. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was villainous intent, but it wasn't necessarily malicious. Right. Right. It was, uh, that was going to be my descriptor for it was accidental villainy. Um. (laughs) It's, it's, it's kind of like the, the trend of Disney and Pixar kind of doing now without true villains to their stories. I mean, look at Encanto, Abuela is villainous, but she has the best of intentions, and it's kind of following in that line too. Yeah, yeah. The the villainry is always you know incidental or or, or situational instead of an, an actual right. entity. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I also it, it it's an interesting um, interesting story watching her. You know this guy that she basically idolized or you know at least uh was very enamored with to kind of be torn down even right before her eyes because you know she's being allowed to see his memories and the truth behind who he really is and and just to to kind of hear that and have him kind of deconstructed in front of her eyes that was kind of a fascinating take on it too never meet and the fact that it didn't you know wreck Cass either it, she right. kind of took it in stride yeah. and well, well okay that was one aspect of him but there was these other aspects too and she kind of she took it well it could have easily gone bad and been unfortunate to listen to well that's a trap it could have been Columbus that's a, <laughs> right that's a trap they've fallen into too where they've you know something's been discovered about somebody else and somebody gets, they, they just get so upset over it that it almost gets in the way of the rest of the story. And so them not doing that this time with um, Cass was refreshing. Or even worse, they refused to listen and not believe right. that right. it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. And, and, and again, the, the trio is just, although they're, they're, they're separated a bit in this one, but the trio, uh, they're just, they click so well together, and I think it, it it works so well. I just I'm I'm a, I'm just so fascinated with this this trio. I I want more. I want Bliss back, but I also want more of this too. Which is saying you know the way they leave the next one, it sounds like they probably are headed that way. <laughs> I, I was going to say the, the other nice thing about this one is oh, while sorry. the other one skirted the time more, this one was com- a complete step away. Oh yeah, which was kind yeah. of nice and refreshing. Right. And it I was refreshing. I don't mind that so much in the middle of the box set either. Because right. if you, I mean, you're going to call these time war because you're going to connect them, but I think it's okay, especially at the midpoint, to get away from the time war a little bit. And it almost feels like that's where you can do it. It feels like the natural spot in the in a three-story arc, or I guess four, because this one they're, they're calling part one and two, although it was really kind of rammed together. But um, but in, in, the, in the three-story arc, you're going to uh, step away from it. The natural place to do it is kind of in the center before you come back to those elements at the end. 
And especially when it's someone's first trip in the TARDIS. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a natural, okay, let's go do something not time or related to get them acclimated to the TARDIS and all that. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Khashki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram, putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories. So you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. Previously, next time. The Doctor, Alex, and Cass land to find out what's causing temporal anomalies with the TARDIS and come across an uninhabited planet, a mysterious factory, and a weapon so dangerous it could destroy the universe. But things go catastrophically wrong. Um, bum, bum. I almost think you could read I, both summaries back to back because they really kind of do one right into the, the other. Or I wasn't even going to read the part two one. Oh, okay. no, that's <laughs> I think that one was fine. Yeah, no. It, it really com- encompasses everything anyway. So This Keep- has got to be one of the best Big Finish stories I've listened to in a long time. Oh, wow. High praise for you. I thought it was not only was it so much fun to listen to, it was a roller coaster of what's going on and what's happening that constantly left me guessing until the end. Um, There's so much great banter between the three of them that I literally, I actually laughed several times throughout the story Mm -hmm. and not just a chuckle. I, I actually started laughing because of the interactions between them. Um, the idea that you know the Daleks are creating this thing and it creates this time loop that they've got to destroy that then ends in such kind of tra- tragedy is so well done and they give us just enough characterization for all the people that are not going to end up being in existence by the end of it that you feel sad by it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all so well weaved together that it's just phenomenal. I absolutely fell in love with, was it Osiah was the, the gal in this? Yeah. Because yeah. she's one of those sensible people who she's very much doing her job, but on the flip side, she very much knows something's amiss here. And she continues to give the doctor the benefit of the doubt, even though she knows she's going against orders from on high. She knows that this could be a trap and they could be very dangerous. You know, despite the fact that there's absolutely at this point no evidence that they didn't just themselves blow up the monument, she still uh, trusts the doctor and continues to 
do the, that kind of back and forth of should I, okay, I'll allow you this much. And she gives him enough, you know, enough rope to hang himself if needed, but enough rope also that, you know, he can c- continue to convince her that what he's saying is real. And that's what makes it even more tragic at the end when we realize that once they fix this, this society goes away and all these people that we've kind of come to, to love are also going away. And I almost felt like they almost drew me in at the end that may, because the doctor makes that hopeful, well, you know, maybe there is a chance that, you know, you guys won't disappear. And then they just end it with them forgetting. And I thought, oh, how tragic, but such a good ending because it was, it was so powerful because I had come to yeah. to love all these characters so much that other than that, the, the head guy, who was kind of a, a dork, but, um, and I mean the, the head, head guy, not the, not the other. Oh yeah. Not, like not, the... not, was it Cade was the other one? Not, not him, but, but the, the, I don't know. I don't even remember his name, but the bird yeah, dude. that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. Well, you just can't wait for him to go and try and talk his way out of whatever's going to happen with the right, Dalek, right? You know. Okay, Karen, go ahead. Well, the idea too that these Daleks are coming, and all of their iconology and all of their religion is based on glimpses and ideas that are all from the Daleks because of the event that was set off, and so. It's it's really kind of interesting that when the Daleks are coming and they're like, well, the, but these you know these are our gods. These are, these are what we worship. These are, that's what they look like. That that was kind of a fascinating detail to it as well. There were so many things to like in this story from the get go. Um, the the idea of the Daleks having this hidden facility where they're building a retcon bomb, <laughs> and okay, yeah, that's that's something they would do. Oh, but they've done it with this and the interocitors and the, the, the focusing lenses and the, oh, and a battle TARDIS is wired up at the heart. It was like, oh, yeah. this just got serious, you know, because it's not just weird Dalek-y science that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> you, you introduce that battle TARDIS element and suddenly it feels like, oh, yeah, this is a genuine threat now. This feels like something that could go catastrophically wrong or worse, mm-hmm. it could work. Right. Um. All of that's great. Um, I love that Cass gets a proper Dalek reaction. Uh-huh, yeah. That, you know, skulking around and spying on them. And, oh, my God, they're terrifying, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hype is but warranted. The fact that she prepared herself and it still didn't. She yeah. still wasn't ready for how scary they were. Yeah. Because we've had so many where it's just like, what, the salt and pepper shakers? And they're kind of dismisses of them because of the, uh, you know, the outside of universe lore that, that people kind of lean into. And so I, this, this was a very proper, if you lived in a universe that had Daleks in it, you would be afraid of the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that was cool. Um, and then, yeah, you just felt for everybody in this, this society this uh, the people that shouldn't be and i agree with you glenn on the the what's her name that because it would have been so i mean obviously if any one of us was presented with this wild cockamamie story about oh well none of this is here right your society and you shouldn't exist. exist right 
it, it's very easy to just eh, throw away the key, you know, right. <laughs> lock them up. Oh, let's execute them. Okay, the boss wants to get rid of them. And you just roll with it because why would you believe them? And yet she does. It, it plays very against type yeah. where you don't have that typical, oh, come on, you don't expect me to believe that, do you? And yet she does kind of fall into it and, and, and believe. And so that was, that was really cool how that was, was played out. I didn't, I didn't feel like we got too much of the one side before she flipped, you know, it was, there was right from the get go. There was a little bit of, yeah, but there's something here. Right. She's, she's, well, and, she's and always helps. giving them the benefit of the doubt in, even if it's, yeah. in, and if it's in, in small increments. And it helps that she had her counterpart that didn't really believe them, but trusted her enough that she he let her go go on and find out the truth. That's a great point because there so easily could have then also been that if if you're going to do this with her, you're going to give you know the counter to that be somebody that's going to be absolutely no, you know, and to give him even the okay, I trust her enough. To, to let her figure this out. And that was kind of refreshing too, because it was just another step of, this is not your typical story. This is, you know, so many time and time again, it starts to feel formula, formulatic and this bucks that trend. And that was what was really refreshing about it. Mm-hmm. They're very Mulder and Scully almost. Yeah. 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 A little bit. Yeah, it's just yeah the heart. I'd say just the heartbreaking scene at the end mm-hmm. with, you know, and the doctor's giving us just enough hope to hang <laughs> our hats on, and then who are you talking to? What yeah. monologuing? I didn't. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I I like the way that they concluded this box set because I think they've got plans to do more with Cass, but they leave it just open-ended enough that this could, even if, you know, if they never came back and did another story with Cass, this could lead into Night of the Doctor. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because, or not, is it Night? Yeah, Night of the Doctor. The reason yeah. I say that is because when he shows up to help her, she doesn't know who he is. It's it seems very clear that she doesn't know who he is, but he never gives the impression that he doesn't know who she is. And so this works on that level that he's, you know, promises to find her and get her back. If they never did anything again, it still leads into that. Now again, I think they will and I think they'll have to I think so too. At some point they'll have to reset it so that she doesn't remember who he is um by the time we get to neither the doctor, but I, I, I think it was nice how they, they neatly wrapped it up, but left it just open enough to go either way with it. That's really the beauty of these time war stories being meanwhile elsewhere, you know, as the, 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 the title implies that because the timeline has gotten so screwed up because there are so many holes in the web of time that yes, this could conceivably be happening. It's not an Elseworld story necessarily. It's just a, you know, somewhere in the multiverse dealing with all this stuff as it gets rewritten and unwritten. If they never come back to cast, while I'll be sad, they don't need to explain it right. because right. they've already they've already given us the, this is what's up. If they do come back and we get more cast, fantastic. 
And then wherever they leave it off, this is, you know, quote unquote prime time. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really intriguing how that, uh, how that works out. It really kind of unties their hands too for you know having to stay to a, a, a sort of a, a linear narrative, and it it really gives them a little bit of flexibility to do things like this, explore these you know what if Cass met the Doctor before she met the Doctor kind of things. So mm -hmm. yeah, also gives them a good way to be able to set Bliss aside for a little while and then bring her back <laughs> later as well. <laughs> Although I, I think a box set of the Eighth Doctor and Alex together would be just fine too. Yeah, I yeah. Hope, I, I hope that they continue to bring Alex back because really they kind of need him. to. While while they tied up things enough for Cass, if they'd ever bring her back, I'd be okay with it. I still I want a little bit more with Alex and some more sort of resolution for when they move on beyond him. Yeah, I know. I th I I think that. Oh my! Anyway, it's it's Sonny McGann, so it's, you know, obviously yeah. <laughs> he's around for a while and, and he'll probably do things with his dad as much as he can, so. Did you guys realize that uh, the writer of this, James Moran, wrote The Fires of Pompeii? Oh, I did not know that. I didn't until I listened to some of the special features. Yeah. And, uh, Oshia, or however you say her name, uh, was Diane in Flux. That is why she sounded familiar. Yep, that is why she sounded she familiar. She had a voice that I thought, uh, it was one of those voices that I couldn't, I didn't think, I know, I know who this is, but all of the while I kept thinking, well, she sounds familiar, you know. Yeah. Interesting. I have to be careful with uh, my 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 big finish recognizing voices because they tend to ping all the time, <laughs> uh, and inevitably I'm not right. I, I thought for sure the uh, in uh, Vespertine, the other station employee who got sick and was just kind of off, you know, for the most part. I was convinced it was Burn Gorman. <laughs> that it was Owen from, from, from Torchwood right. that they'd brought him in to do a voice. But it seemed like such a bit part that it's like, well, they wouldn't bother bringing him in for this, would they? Well, but unless, maybe it's because you know, he's, unless he's, he was in the next, know. he was in the next room recording a Torchwood yeah. audio yeah. and they needed a voice. Maybe it's because he's Owen that they could only give him a bit part, yeah. you know, cause they didn't want it to get confusing. And so I went and went and looked and nope, not him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, well, anything else on this uh, box set before we wrap it up? Well, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule, we are going to step away again from uh, our Time War discussions and talk about uh, current events. The 60th anniversary is uh, happening this year for Doctor Who, and we are going to talk uh, about the Diamond logo. And how it has evolved through the years. So it's kind of a retrospective look at one of our favorite pieces of uh, uh, branding, as it were, from the show. Did you want more? Well, we have it. <laughs> Always want more. We will then dip back into the Time War with uh, the beginning of Act 3. And it's also the beginning of The War Doctor. The War Doctor begins, as a matter of fact. 
uh, the first box set founded in fire. I thought that was forged in fire. Really? Yeah, this one's founded. Founded. Um, huh. It just occurred to me, we probably should have mentioned this at the top of the uh, podcast, because last week we teased that we would be doing that particular story this week. That's true. I did put on Facebook uh, the explainer that of why we had changed this, but I suppose we owe it to listeners that maybe didn't see that post. Uh, the reason we did Time War 5 cast is because we it came out just very recent. In fact, I think it was last month. And so we really felt like to keep linear with the way we're doing the time war, it made sense to kind of shove this in really quick before we moved on to act three. So this was kind of act two, part two for us. So (laughs) apologies if you came here expecting us to talk about the war doctor begins founded in fire. We are doing that in two weeks for sure. Or two podcasts from now, I should say two podcasts from now. Um, we will then step back away from the time war to talk about the recently released Abominable Snowman uh, Blu-ray with animation, which I'm looking forward to rewatching that one. Uh, and then we go back into the time war for uh, the, the next uh, War Doctor set, uh, Warbringer. And then uh, something a little fun that kind of also ties in with the 60th anniversary in a way. Uh, we're we're going to start uh, recapping... The very mythical season six B. <laughs> I don't know if it's. I don't know if we could call it mythical anymore. I think it was uh, qualified. It's been pretty much canonized. As I say, it? yeah, I think Terrence Dix <laughs> kind of put the put the cap on the canon for that. So, but uh, so th- this is going to be part of a kind of a rotating out thing for the rest of the year, so that you don't get too bogged down in any one story arc. We figured we'd give you a break from time war. Uh, so we'll have the the time war discussions. We'll have 60th anniversary stuff, and then we'll have season six B stuff, and kind of all interweaving between them uh, throughout the year as we go. But of course, uh, we can't uh, talk about season six B without recapping the war games. That's right. And of course, you can follow along with us at our website, travelingthevortex.com. And if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on that patron link and consider supporting us, becoming a member of our patron. Uh, We do have some fun audios up there. Uh, We have the Traveling the Vortex quiz show uh, that has gone up recently. And then I just this last week uploaded another First Doctor Comics review as I continue my journey through the uh, uh, Doctor uh, Comics uh, linearly from 1 to, well, I suppose 14 now. And uh, so you can check that out if you're a patron subscriber. And, uh, of course, if you're not, please consider helping out. Um, that's what keeps the lights on here at Traveling the Vortex. It helps us uh, maintain a server, helps us maintain our space, and it, and it helps us uh, keep uh, giving you know, these audio podcasts to you. So if, if you're enjoying these, consider throwing a few bucks our way on Patreon. Also consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to podcasts. That helps uh, bump us up in the ratings and the recommendations everywhere. And make sure you can join in on the conversation on our listeners forum on Facebook. You can get there by going to our Facebook page, which is simply facebook.com slash traveling the vortex. Anything else before we uh, close this show, fellas? You guys can, of course, reach us on uh, Twitter as well. At Travel Vortex is our Twitter handle. All only right. one L. Yes, only one L. If you're in the UK, it is only one L. <laughs> All right, if that's all, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. 
You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.